The Time Traveller's Wife, Stephen Moffat's 2022 HBO TV adaptation of the 2003 novel has finished its first series with this, its sixth episode. As of just a few days after the finale's transmission, we still don't know if the series will be picked up for another season like Moffat and the novelist and everyone behind the show would like, but we do know that this 2022 series covered about half the novel and had its own finale one way or another. So we're going to discuss this finale, looking at the nightmarish and mind-bending depiction of time travel, the meaning of this ending, tonal choices of the show, how we feel about different ages and iterations of people we love, parallels for how people act in real linear relationships, how the show depicted love in general, how we perceive the same moments in different ways throughout our lives, all sorts of things. And so doing the discussing today is going to be myself, Neo from Australia, along with my two friends from England, Ingiga and Oliver. Uh, Oliver and I have both read the novel. I've seen the film. Ingiga is our control viewer, our show only viewer. And we're going to be discussing the events of this finale, but we're not going to be discussing events in the book beyond this finale. We're staying in the confines of this finale. Uh, so to start, what did you two think of this episode, this finale? I thought what was um, really curious and nice about this uh, finale is that a lot of TV shows which reach the end of their first season and are hoping for a continuation, or maybe not 100% sure of one, they end up in the finale, they, they forget to actually arrive at a point. They just defer it, like, oh, we'll arrive at a point eventually. They just put all that energy into making the finale, cliffhanger, cliffhanger, setting up, teasing more questions, blah, 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 all this bullshit. And the thing is, this finale this does do that stuff. It does tease you know, future developments. It does tease a lot of stuff and set up stuff. But also, you know, because part of the, because of the nature of this story, the future teasing and the, you know, doom that awaits Claire and Henry is also part of the point. Because part of the point of the show is that they need to go on despite knowing the future is bleak and scary. But, you know, it's convenient, really. So, um, in this finale, even though it was a lot of it was teasing, it also felt like the show, it felt conclusive in a way that was really nice. I, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx any, like the show getting cancelled or anything. But I was really, I was really pleased. It felt satisfying in terms of arriving at a, a natural place to just stop or like park it for the time being. It didn't, it doesn't feel unfinished, so so to speak. I mean, like I know it literally is, but in the sense that as a season of television, it concluded in a way that satisfied me. Basically, I thought it was the classic finale thing of ramping up the stakes, but because this show is so different in what its stakes are because it's just about a basically normal relationship, but with time travel. The ramping up of the stakes go in some weird directions, which I really enjoyed. And the whole the whole episode's basically montage time travel. It's a bad trip. It's a bad time travel trip, which I, I, I thought that was great. I really enjoyed that. I think it's not quite at the level where you could think this didn't have any more story to go on, but it's like a mindfulness thing. Weddings are a joyful thing where you try not stress just about the future or the past it's a happy thing in the moment and that's what this wedding episode really ended up being at the end certainly at the very end uh trying to be present in that joyful moment whatever's coming so the kind of shades of what's coming for henry and claire and other people yeah kind of enhance the storytelling here which is about whatever's coming you know we enjoy this moment right now so yeah i think it did work I hope the show gets another series, but if it doesn't, this doesn't feel like a totally random pausing point at all. I also particularly felt not just like not just the wedding itself, but the final um, dialogue between older Claire and slightly younger Henry 
uh, where she kind of wrapped up the themes of the show in a way and just uh, in a really nice direct way that we haven't really heard from Claire so much before. We usually hear it from Henry. I thought that was a really nice like note to just like end on and wrap it up. So not just like the, a, a big wedding that's made into a happy finale just for the sake of it, but also just a sense of juxtaposing that with a real like thematic conclusion to, like to, to, to this arc, I guess. Which, what dialogue do you mean? Um, I mean, when, um, when Claire is talking to slightly younger Henry, she's really happy to be finally be the older woman. And she says that marriage isn't about making each other happy. Mm. If we do, that's great. But like, you know, what it really is about is just about clinging onto each other and surviving and just, you know, um, you know, m- making life a bit more bearable in that sense. Yeah. The, the same way that each episode is its own story. Totally. You can watch any of these episodes as a story and they have a point and they have uh, an arc and theme to each of them. The whole, the whole series feels like one series and it would be great to get another one. But also this, this story, the story of this series feels concluded and it feels like a whole thing. It's not got, I think modern serial television, especially like sci-fi fantasy stuff has a really bad habit of just keeping on telling the story and never wrapping anything up and just more hints and more teasers and cliffhangers and whatnot yeah recently severance did that i'm so annoyed by the finale of that show just cliffhanger yeah fuck theme yeah every series ending on just a weird segue into the next series without bothering to feel like a complete story this is a finale which is odd because you know finales are sort of dead um but it's a proper finale in a show that's basically just a drama. Yeah. And I feel like it feeling like a, is this a series one finale or is this a full show finale? It's so, this episode maybe more than any other, more than all the other ones gets us so into Henry's psyche. And that kind of, it's like he said earlier when he had his wavy hair in earlier episodes, you know, I'm just trying to live one moment at a time. You enjoy the moment where it is. And in this episode, he starts getting worried because he's starting to get happiness. And so, you know, he's in a very solid relationship, which means the future is something he has to think about all the time now, which is why he has all his future anxieties that propel him into the future. It's kind of weighing him down how much he now has to think, not just in the moment. So I thought the episode did a really good job of we're with him in this moment, you know, right now. Of we're not, We have some idea of what's coming, but we don't totally understand it, but we still have to try and, you know, hold on and enjoy it anyway. And like Claire's speech at the end kind of about how you hang on to someone else is is kind of pairs with that in an interesting way. I really enjoy how thin the line is between the literal time travel stuff and the sort of nightmare dream stuff. Like the, there's no clear distinction between what's exactly literally real. Is all of it literally real? It doesn't matter. It's this is his nightmare. He's flashing forwards in the way that anyone flashes forwards on their wedding day, but he's hmm. also literally flashing forwards. It, it's all it's using the time travel the way it's been using the whole series um as this nice metaphorical thing that also blurs the line into literal and sometimes does these funky like the the moment where the wrong henry turns up <laughs> for the wedding it's it su- suddenly it's doing time travel shenanigans that the rest of the episode hasn't really been doing um and so that that moment of reminding you oh no he's literally time traveling that's great fun. Gig, what did you think of the surprise that Claire <laughs> doesn't marry the Henry she is parody with? She marries the one she wanted all along, the older one. Um, like, I would, I would say, you know, as a someone fresh to the story, you know, it did kind of, 
it's one of those twists where like you can sense it about to happen like moments before it actually does and it's really satisfying when it lands um it's it was really cute i love what it actually means for their marriage because there's all these teasers earlier in the episode about how oh technically we aren't married yet and they spent all these years of their marriage not literally married but rather henry doesn't actually get to go back and marry claire until he's had all these years of experience of married life and he still has doubts just before he goes into it he still asks his dad like he asks those questions and and it, it, it's sort of like this it, there's it's sort of an idea not quite in the ideal situation, but in a way, it's like um, it's like not filming an actor's first episode first. It's giving them time mm. to get into the role, you know. So it's like he's had these um, this time to sort of prepare himself before he actually makes, who does the thing, so to speak. And like from uh, from in terms of Claire's perspective and her getting to marry like the older, wiser Henry, and she says that she misses him and stuff. I feel like that maybe doesn't hit all that hard because I feel like at this point, the 36 Henry and 28 Henry, especially once the haircuts happen, like obviously they are different, but also it's like the older Henry has become closer to us. He doesn't, he doesn't feel distant in the way that presidential Henry felt when he was visiting young Claire in the clearing. So it's sort of, it doesn't feel like the the biggest of of shifts, but it's still, it's still really like sweet. And I love, obviously I love young Henry kind of (laughs) interacting with young Henry through the camera and the recording and stuff like that. It's always super fun. (laughs) The poor cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, it was just, it was a great twist and very, um, I I think, and also one, one more thing. I think the fact that young Henry can only basically watch the wedding happen, knowing that he doesn't get to do that until he's gone through all of that that become this older more mature person like there's a sort of melancholy to that but also in a sense it's maybe a salvation for him because he was so anxious about the wedding itself like the fact that okay it's it's been kicked like 10 years down the road like it's um i think it sort of symbolizes like how much growing he has to do still in a a quite clever way yeah it's really sweet that he gets to attend the wedding sort of uh, from the future looking back so he gets to be there he still gets the experience he gets to spend the day with his wife you know thinking about their married life but it's also this sort of literalization of the fact that he's not really ready for it and so he doesn't actually get married at the same time she does she's more ready to commit than he is so she gets married first which is fun marrying your partner at a different time to them marrying you um so it's nice that's a that's a really nice way of segueing into a possible second series without big cliffhanger nonsense is just showing oh he's not actually there yet you know he's getting there but he's not actually ready for the life that, that 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 he's been promised um and so we can see they're still growing to go but we also get the bookend with him actually getting married so we get to see where that goes and presumably we've got some space in the middle to fill out next time i i just i just think that's a really neat shape of a story it's a really interesting arc for claire of course the show way more than the book the show really foregrounded this idea that she doesn't want the henry she's contemporarily paired up with she wants the henry she fell in love with in the clearing the older henry but here she switches she doesn't she's dissatisfied by marrying the older henry in the moment she wants to be doing this properly and she's she's really connected with the younger henry closer to her age still older but closer to her age now she really wants to marry that one instead uh so it's a very um clear kind of growth for her in that and then it kind of the episode kind of continues from there it's not just oh she wanted 
you know, the Henry contemporary with her anymore. Because we get this really interesting, and I think you can read this really cynically as well, thing at the end where she's only a little bit older than him at the very, very end. I mean, they've basically synced up in ages there, although she's the older woman as she relishes there. Uh, And I think there's a few ways you can read into her hunger for him there. Obviously, there's the biological aspect of it, but I think you can also easily read into, is there a grass is always greener thing with Claire that she always kinds of wants the man, the Henry that she doesn't have? Are they syncing up best at the end because their maturity levels are more similar, like the age gap has kind of been cancelled out with that Henry, with her in that moment. And through so much else of the series, there is that age gap there, you know, sometimes extremely drastically. Uh, and in the wedding, like we're saying, we're getting a Henry that is ready for the wedding, who was much older than the Henry, closer to her age, still older than her age. At the end, are they connecting better because they're similar ages? Is she always going to want a Henry that's a different age just because she's never satisfied with what she has, what's what are your guys' takes on all that Claire stuff? I thought the detail about her missing the young Henry in the sense that almost like uh, back when she had him, she didn't necessarily fully like maybe she took him for granted a certain degree. I, I think it, it's really interesting to see her go from pining after the older Henry to like actually, you know, the younger one. You know, he 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 was underrated, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, I I think to a certain extent. I think what it shows is not so much that Claire's like never satisfied or whatever, but more that I think she's, I think it's inevitable that you will miss like the stuff that you don't like have or whatever. Like, you know, or it's like all the different versions of Henry, I think have like their own appeal. And when she like, and it took her actually meeting the slightly younger one again to realise like how refreshing he seems compared to the one that she's been you know used to and sort of living with this whole time. I think, it, I mean, it's again, it's a bit like what we were talking about a few episodes ago, uh, ago when Moffat talked about looking at a young photo of like your spouse and you still and you still mm. love them and you still find something really like, lovable about them. I think it's just um, I don't think it necessarily like invalidates the fact that Claire <laughs> you know loves her current husband. It, it's more like. It's like it it, it it spices things up, I guess, being able to see him at different ages and just to sort of just be able to nostalgically, I mean, there, there is nostalgia, reminisce about kind of what things were like like in the past, even at the, when back at the time she was more like obsessed with like the older one. Yeah, it's, it's a bit tangled, but you know, they, what, do you, what do you know? And there's this thing about not marrying a freeze-frame version of someone, but marrying their whole life, marrying all versions of them, right? She's not just married to Henry in his older presidential form, but she's married to his past and his history and all the stages of his life that he goes through. Um, Which, you know, like what she says about marriage being a storm that you ride out together, um, it's not so much... Uh, especially it, the the non-linearity, the meeting in the wrong order or the time travel is just highlighting that when you marry someone, you're not picking a, a person at their best moment and saying, yeah, you're going to make me happy forever. You're, you're picking someone else's life and going, well, I'm going to tie it to my one. And you see all the versions of them. Uh, and it's a sweet out of order way of doing that where, She's appreciating the other versions of him, I think, the the other parts of his life that she's not synchronized with. 
but that she married because she married all of him. I think that's what works really well with our younger Henry meeting her after her big argument with the older Henry is to kind of have that whiplash of we've just had, you know, what almost might feel like a relationship ending argument. And then I get this younger one and, you know, we're watching the wedding and everything. It's kind of this reinforcement. It reminds me of what Nate was saying when we discussed episode four about it's, it's, you don't, it's not, it's not a situation you leave easily from, you know, when they've bound their lives together up like this, the way they both um, hold to their vows anyway. It's, it's about, she's, the timey wyminess is reminding her, you know, this is why I'm sticking with this person and this is what I've, how I've connected with this person. This is what he means to me. I think to have the arguments and then kind of experiencing the wedding again and really connecting with that younger version all kind of bounced up together. It's like this timey-wimey thing of, you know, I've married all of this person, like you're saying, not just him at his best or his, it's like the wedding vows, not just him at his best or his worst in sickness or in health. I've married all the timeline of this man. And obviously it also tees up the fun little, and um, come visit me sometime because <laughs> uh, you've not had a vasectomy yet. <laughs> yeah, she had the hungriest eyes in that scene. <laughs> It's it's I uh, is it is it cheating? Because um, I have seen some people think so, but well, they're not married. You know, um, you could argue that she's not even married to this Henry. <laughs> she wants to um, have sex with her right now. But I mean, they're still the same person. I think it's kind of a miracle moment that they can undo the older one's decision, kind of made alone. That they can kind of undo that and connect together in his youth it's it's kind of a wish fulfillment timey thing that they can do there and and also because i think age is such a key thing because it's possible some of older henry's decision to get the vasectomy may have been spurred on by issues with age you know with his fertility with age uh and i also think you know as much as the decision made sense to him then with the awful hardships he was going through and she was going through and of course the miscarriages were going through the fact henry is around at all would kind of suggest that a fetus, a time travel fetus, can survive in the womb, theoretically, because he did. So, I think it's a lovely little wish moment that the younger Henry can kind of circumvent the decision he's going to make in the future. I think um, in terms of the cheating thing, I think when when Henry kind of raised that with Claire, Claire, she was like, you know, you're, you're my husband, we're married or whatever. I think she was quite emphatic about the idea that even though technically, like, the... You know, the whole logistics of the time marriage and such, even though that's a thing, she's still emphatic about the fact that she's married to all of him. And she doesn't consider, like, you know, the younger him cheating any more than she was, any more than she was cheating on older Henry when she got together with the younger Henry uh, in, in the past. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just so limpid. Hard to keep it straight in your head. But yeah, I think, I think it's clear she doesn't consider it cheating because they're all Henry, they're all him. There's also, there's definitely a polyamory read on this. Uh, yeah, it, which is I, I think it's interesting with Moffat's work because he's I get the impression he's a very monogamous person. Um, all all the relationships he writes are these really intense one on one, um, uh, exclusive relationships, often with a whole thing of jealousy included. But also, there's always this poly twinge to it, and here this idea of. Um, sleeping around with other versions of your partner from different points in time. Like, that's, uh, there's, a, there's a weird bit of sci-fi polyamory going on there, which I think is interesting. And it's, and, and sort of the point is, um, whether or not it's cheating just comes down to the fact that, um, it comes down to whether 
older Henry, who she's married to currently, is cool with it, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it would be different if they had, like, if they were each other's third partners or something, and then you were getting, like, a Henry married to a different woman with a Claire married to a different man in her 50s or something, then it would be a whole different paradigm. But that they've got a kind of, you know, post-Ingrid, that they've got a kind of lifelong love, as we're seeing, I think kind of marriage or otherwise makes it a little less dicey than it could be. So, sorry, th- there is the issue that in using younger Henry to try and get around the vasectomy, she is in a sense, like, she's directly kind of kind of deliberately going like behind, like, older Henry's back to kind of, like, yeah. do a thing that he doesn't sort of want so like there's there's an awkwardness in that sense it's not like it's not like cheating in like the usual sense i, I guess it's more in the sense of like but there are probably possible layers of betrayal like in it in a sense but also yeah. in, a, in in terms of claire how claire feels she feels betrayed by henry because he didn't consult her about any of this as well so it's sort of i'm not obviously again we don't want to do the whole point scoring thing because like we talked about before that's not how it works but like it, it's it, it's complicated i'm wary of speaking too much on the ethics of what older henry did there with the vasectomy just because it's so outside of my experience i assume you guys as well but i feel like the issue there isn't his decision to do what he wants to do with his body it's just she she feels betrayed like that it was something he should have even if he was if even if even if he was going to go through with it no compromise no matter what she said she would have liked to have known uh I, i think um is is the biggest it's shutting her out uh basically uh you can totally see we just got a glimpse of how terrible and terrifying that period of their marriage must have been uh with all the different miscarriages and the 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 goriness of how those miscarriages work like we hear in the episode it must have been so testing on both of them so i think you understand where he was coming from but you can understand why she felt you know is it for nothing you know all the hardships We've gone through with the five miscarriages that you'll just cancel me out without conferring with me like that. But also, the the episode does show a kind of, in a very trippy sequence, a kind of childlike figure in what seems to be their house at some point. So I think, especially if the show doesn't get picked up, there's a suggestion maybe you can link the hungry Claire with younger Henry at the end with that, perhaps. There was a small strange note when um I think older Henry was on the phone to someone. She he was describing what had just happened and he I, I wasn't sure if he was like just using a figure of speech here or if it was something Claire actually said to him, but he said like oh she she thinks I'm basically a murderer. So and I was like, uh <laughs> really? Like if, if we're, if we're get, calling someone a murderer for getting a vasectomy, how do you think what a stance on abortion is? <laughs> you know? Um but I guess like it's the whole like in terms of I think there's a very thorny issue embedded in this episode about like having a child and uh, I guess like whether I guess the idea of particularly having like a a child like through I guess like maternal birth or whatever and, and that sort of thing and and how much of an extent it's like to what extent you're entitled to to do that or have that or like or to what extent it's like an ethical issue to do that because yeah. it, 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 I mean it's a whole thing because um Henry's dad gives that little speech about, well, you know, you're going to die, but hey, give her a child as a memento to remember you by. And I think there are multiple issues you could raise with that point of view. You know, so it, I guess it's just all mixed up in that, isn't it? Yeah. And the dad's speaking from his experience. He's not like yelling at the audience, hey, you know, whatever your thoughts on 
childbearing mine is the right one. And I'm Stephen Moffat speaking through <laughs> this actor. He's and even more so than what Henry's asking. I think he's just speaking, you know, very much of his marriage and that he felt a bit better with his wife passing because he had, you know, this person that was, you know, from both of them um, still around. Uh, you know, that said he was doing very rough before Henry kind of re-entered his life in his older age, which I guess goes to what you're saying that, you know, having that child around makes his life better. Uh, and I, th- I think especially for Henry, who is so zipping in and out of time, you could understand that instinct of Claire, especially of wanting some kind of, uh, it's a it's difficult language to say this, piece of himself or something born of himself around, you know, uh, in a, although, although I'm wondering, is Claire anticipating, I guess, were they not anticipating that the fetus would be time travelly, you know, if they were, if they were having it in the first place, uh, is she thinking this child is going to be a time traveler or not before they first start trying to conceive? Maybe we'll see in series two. But yeah, I, I understand the impulse for wanting a child um, from what Henry's dad is saying and from what Claire is wanting. But yeah, I can, you can totally see Henry's caginess about it. What I wonder about is after five attempts at you know, time travel babies and presumably us, we can assume at this point that a successful child, like, like a successful pregnancy, like would result in a grown child who was a time traveler because you still have that time travel gene or whatever since that seems to be that seems mm. to be a given with any baby produced by henry and i'm just i'm just wondering like to, to what extent like does, why would why does claire even want to create another person who has that problem <laughs> like that time travel issue when it's created so much chaos and you know so many just like struggles for henry I, that's that's what i wonder oh you think why don't they just adopt is is what you're thinking? Yeah, that's that's kind of something that was like in the back of my head. Like, like why why not? Like, is is it a big deal? Does it have to have Henry's genes? Does it have to look like Henry? Like, yeah, I think Claire is very traditional. With I want a biological, um, not just from me, you know, which she could do in a couple of ways, but from Henry as well, which I can understand. Um, but you're right that they're going through so much hardship that maybe it'll come up in series two uh, to consider adoption or not. There's a lot of very straight relationship drama out there where you, you watch it and go, adoption's cool. You could, <laughs> you could adopt. Adopting's great. Henry can raise that child, you know, as much as he can be around Claire, he can be around an adopted child. It's one of those things where I think the, um, the 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 very straight instinct of i guess the biological instinct that our baby is going to be a part of us passed on to the next generation it's i think it's something a lot of people feel that you you can't actually describe why without implying you think that adoption is less than right it's this like like claire definitely has this instinct towards um, uh, giving birth herself to Henry's baby, right? That's really important to her. And I guess that's valid in its own right, but were she a real person and you sat her down to talk about why, it, it's hard not to see that conversation ending up saying that adoption isn't real parenthood or something, which I always find a little bit, yeah. I think seeing Claire's family... Uh, her being more traditional with these kinds of things makes sense to me, uh, for better or worse. Mm. I liked Claire's family turning up in this. Just getting a little bit to do. I was surprised with Richard, uh, Moff- <laughs> um, Henry's dad, um, 
he in the book he's in a much rougher state at this period in the book like his life has fallen apart a lot more and he's more adversarial with Henry uh, but in the book and the show he takes to Claire uh, and we had a much warmer and more positive uh, depiction of Richard in the show I'm not sure why but I enjoyed the actor and I think he did a good job working the episode and embodying the sort of themes that the episode was playing with. Uh, he was he was quite enjoyable here. And he was so clearly rejuvenated by Henry uh, reconnecting with him. Uh, I guess that's kind of arguing towards the have a child, have a child stuff, you know, through the episode. I think the possibly Moffat's reasoning for situating Henry's dad like that is that in this episode, of course, once Henry, especially once Henry takes the drug, he's getting buffeted through time and you know, everything's so chaotic and scary. And, and I guess Henry's dad is a point to which Henry tries to, I guess, um, like anchor himself in some way. He, you know, he seeks, he seeks a degree of like, uh, well, I suppose this is more when older Henry comes back in time to do the wedding as well. But like, just, just generally, I think Henry's dad represents a figure that, who isn't Claire, that Henry can ask, like, for mm. some kind of spiritual, I don't know, like, advice or guidance or whatever. And of course, the problem, of course, is that the advice Henry's dad ultimately gives is more like just twisting the knife almost because it's something Henry's like, oh no, I can't do this. But it, it, so it, it's, I guess it's just in terms of structuring the episode, it's somewhere for it to lead like an emotional, like warm thing between Henry and his dad, which nonetheless like twists into like more of a, a problem. I, th- I think there's a very masculine thing to their distance with each other. There's a line earlier in the episode between Henry and Ben, which is something like, uh, we're men, uh, distance from each other is our currency or something like that like it's normal for us yeah yeah ignoring each other is the medium of our friendship that was the line yeah it's it's and i think with henry and his dad you get the same thing of after you know henry's mum passed that um, for various reasons the i mean the book goes more into they both treated each other pretty badly and of course that's worse from the dad's end since he was an authority the show doesn't really go into that but you do get a sense they've spent time apart because it's uncomfortable uh, for them, you know, as men in the way that they are t- to to come together. And I feel like part of Henry's maturation in the show in this in this season is not just coming together with Claire, but then also with Claire's friends. And then this whole kind of broader community he's kind of surrounding himself with. He's not like a rogue individual like he was in his earlier 20s. He's kind of, he's reconnected with his dad and, you know, he's really connected with Claire. You know, he was so kind of about the marriage when he learned about it in the first episode. But now he, he's annoyed that he's not at the wedding, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, so I think that's part of his arc, this series, was kind of embracing, connecting with other people. There's a sort of little mini arc with um, that ignoring each other's the medium of our relationship thing, where young Henry... Uh, is the one who's not really been keeping in contact. And when Ben asks older Henry if he's still around in the future, older Henry says, oh yeah, we we hung out recently. Yeah. Which I, I couldn't quite tell whether or not he was telling the truth about that. Same, same. But if he if he is telling the truth, then he's he's learned. He's hanging out with his friends more. Good on him. Yeah, and if he's not telling the truth, then he's changed from when he was uh, talking about Ingrid a few episodes ago. So, what was with the dialogue <laughs> when Henry was like, "How are you doing, Ben?" and Ben just went AIDS. 
I think that's just like a it's a moffatism, isn't it? Like that way of sort of a quippy way of like characters eliding the expected response in favour of getting right to the point at specific times and then evading the point at other times. Just in terms of making dialogue that twists and turns like in each individual scene. I think it's just one of those <laughs> yeah, it's one of those uh, isms of his. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> right. It's one of the because we're talking about a lot of stuff uh, we liked, especially. I know one of the big critiques of the show across all episodes, and very much this one, the wedding one, was a lot of people will say like Moffat is really good with the darker parts and kind of the loftier parts of the show, but he keeps not showing Claire and Henley in love with each other. I know there's bits in the book from the chapters that were being adapted this episode, like where. Uh, Claire and Henry go on swings together and they just have this moment where Nifinega in her really, you know, detailed prose is like talking about this is the most beautiful, mindful moment I'll never forget as they're swinging, you know, and just drunk on each other being in the moment together. That the book has a lot of this stuff where they're just in love with each other and the film as well. And some people, and I don't think they're just readers of the book. I see some people who are just watching the show as well kind of think, what, are these people in love? I'm not really getting, I get the sense they're just two random people deterministically bound up together and they seem to argue all the time and i know we've talked about how we like the complex kind of irritable characterizations of both of them because they feel like rounded real people uh, but what do you say to people that felt like at the end you know very much in the finale and the kind of across the series that there weren't enough moments lovey-dovey romantic moments between them to kind of earn a sense of they like each other i mean they get a musical number <laughs> that, that feels pretty far into the um, extreme lovey-dovey stuff uh, I, for me, all the, the moments of the romance really shining through are those quiet conversations they have, like when they're watching the wedding video. Yeah. Those little yeah. moments. And Henry, in the second episode, Henry playing the recording of his mum. That kind of stuff is deeply romantic, I guess in a slightly weird way that might not translate for all audiences. But that's that, to me, is that's where the love comes in. And it's really clear in moments like that. In this episode, in the car, when Henry is worried about being you know, dissected by the government, and Claire said, like, nothing in this world will stop me from bringing you home. That, that kind of thing. I think that really speaks to how Moffat conceives of the idea of, like, romance and a loving relationship. Just devotion. In, in an almost, like, mercenary, like, brutally ruthless kind of sense. Like, it's not so much about, like, gushing with adoration. Like, oh, I'm so happy. Yes, this is so, so ethereal. And it's more just a sense of, like, I am absolutely committed, you know, I am bound to you, I'm devoted to you, like, there's nothing you can, can do, like, can separate us, that, that kind of thing. The sense of conceiving of love and romance as like a, almost like a battle, or like, just like a, a thing of willpower, rather than necessarily being, like, drunk on affection and, and sweetness. Yeah. I, I also think, I'll talk about this more when we get to the movie, but I, I think Moffat has a actual aversion to doing to to doing scenes the film did at all or to focusing too much on scenes the film did with certain tones i think he's actually actively avoiding doing that uh and i'm not sure if it's just purely to differentiate from the film or if he finds some of the film's take on things distasteful but i think he's actively actually trying to run away from some of what people might want from the romance there i think as a storyteller um how many scenes of people sitting on swings being deeply in love with each other do you need and what's the drama in that scene right 
how's that scene moving the characters and the themes forwards if they're just stationary that's the thing Th- those moments of time freezing and you're so in love with each other are stationary where fearing about the future and having all these hopes colliding around you in a nightmare that's motion that's that's drama that's moving forwards i think maybe for some people like envision a sort of slice of life version of this story or this adaptation where like things are quite gentle whereas that it's really what moffat wants to do in adapting the book this way and what he wants to bring out of the book is i guess like the almost relentless kind of maelstrom of time like that sort of and he he's he's mentioned a drumbeat of doom in the past which is quite a muscular way of talking about it i guess um it's a wonderfully compelling story but there is a drumbeat of doom under it all so i wanted to end with just fun with everybody laughing and smiling and get behind the fact that right now is pretty damned good in terms of making it a drama that's quite propulsive rather than sort of a contemplative um, kind of sit around on swings kind of thing you know he's it's not necessarily the fan service version of the story but it is something that um i guess speaks quite directly to the existential themes and the um i i guess just like the just the bleak kind of hard edge of the idea of marriage and mortality and having someone who you're committed to i know he he says a lot he is very emphatic that he's not trying to fix or improve the novel, but in terms of what he changes, he just keeps saying, I'm just trying to make it a TV show and I'm trying to make it work as a TV show. Staying true to the tone, the intent and the idea and the style of the storytelling, but uh, the, the detail, it's re- rarely possible to do a good adaptation that sticks to the absolute detail because television, well, the line I keep using, which I think is right, a book has a beginning, middle, and an end, and a, a TV show has a beginning, middle, and end once a week, right? So yes. the structure is massively different, yeah. massively different. Um, I love the book, so I would never want to uh, uh, betray it or uh, or make it seem as though I'm fixing it. Oh, look, this is where Audrey got it wrong. I don't think that ever. I do think, however, it's not a TV show. And to yeah. some extent, to some degree, I have to treat the book like a and it, uh, like a format for a TV show, and I'm writing some further adventures of Henry and Claire, a little bit like that. But I mean, that's that that that's an exaggeration. But you know what I mean. It has to it has to function as a sh- uh, as a show, not just as a, as a transcription of a novel. But I, I loved it. I wasn't there to fix it. Which I agree with a lot of what he does structurally, but I think just part of who he is making the show is this kind of existential focus, yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he should put himself into the show because the novelist put himself into the book and he's making the show. So, of course, he, should, he shouldn't He should be trying to, you know, like pretend the novelist is a showrunner and then what, what would she do? He should be doing what he's doing, which is infusing himself into the show because if you want the novel, the novel's there. If you want the film, the film's there. If you want the show, the show is there because I think he does have that more kind of nightmarish um perception of a lot of what the novel the film might do in a very sugary way and the novel might do in a twisty way but in a romance novel way i think moffat is really really interested in interrogating the concepts of the story here and that's you know that's his drive to do the kind of mind bending uh, super existential take on it. So I think he's just being true to himself, and that's and that's what you want from a story. I think it's probably useful to remember that Moffat's most Im- most important and significant time travel fiction has broadly been horror, <laughs> in a sense, or tragedy. Yeah, basically things that 
to which the time travel aspect is put to quite bleak ends. So, you know, blink, go in the fireplace. It's about getting old, dying, you know, unfulfilled dreams, hopes, all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, your, your, your life going off on completely the wrong track. So, you know, Moffat's this big scary guy. I think it's naturally that he will infuse a degree of the nightmare into this story. Not to like a, you know, overbearing extent, but it's, it, it, I think Henry very much feels like, Henry and Claire, they feel like they're being I guess, hurtled through this kind of this, this gauntlet of trials and tribulations and things like that. And that they have to sort of fight through it. And I think that's just, yeah, that's just Moffat's angle on like the, the story and on life. Yeah. I think the, the, what the show is doing is it's taking the story so seriously that I think it's not working for some people. Like where the film maybe uses the time travel as a launching pad to do like this amazing brilliant romance you know and it's going to have rough times some of those rough times in this episode are in the film too but they're all kind of circled around giving you an experience as a viewer that you can kind of get drunk on and you know get filled up and really immersed in this huge you know romance the show i think is so interested in the kind of concepts and the contrivances that are making this time travel story let's really poke at them it's not like a realistic thing but it's like a what emotions how could we realize a character authentically with these kind of time travel concepts? It's like the show's so interested in, it's like the show belabors the grooming stuff. It's like, how did Henry groom Claire and how did Claire groom Henry? It's not just interested in that as a throwaway thing to make a joke about with a pony in an earlier episode. You see, even in this one, we have Claire quite seriously going, did I change you? You know, and she's kind of really thinking over that. I think the show is so interested in poking at the tension and the kind of discomfort and some of the ideas, uh, which the book is more interested in that in the film, but I think the show, again, is more interested in that in the book. And that's that's the kind of version we're getting here. One more thing about the pace before we before we move on. Just one, one more thing, because I think um, this season, certainly it's worth keeping in mind that Moffat wants to do like more. And this season has led up to the wedding. So once they've actually gotten married in, you know, in one sense or another, things will slow down because once they get that house they will actually settle into a rhythm and i think that will inevitably have to change i guess the the feel the rhythm of the show the kind of the pacing of it like whereas this first six episodes that's kind of that kind of introduce like everything and just plunge us into this whole chaotic uh i guess web, web of time so to speak i think it's naturally that i think it's inevitable that there's going to be a degree of like um, but briskness to it, and maybe it's just speculation. But maybe if we get more episodes, we might see it level out a bit in a way that some people want. Yeah, Moffat has said that uh, in adapting the book, he's just trying to explain what he loves so much about it, and so of course he's going to pull out the things that appeal to him most. He's going to draw on the existential stuff. So you know, in, in when you pitched to Warner's and, and HBO, was it inherently necessary to contrast what you wanted to do with what the movie had attempted, and how you did you attempt to do it? I didn't talk a lot about the movie. Uh, I talked about the book uh, because I think that's what you do. I mean, the, you know, the the the, the, uh, the movie came out was very successful. A lot of people loved that movie, but this is a different thing. This is a TV version, and I talked about what I thought could be explored in a television version. What I And what she's a lot about what I loved about the book. It's a lot about that. I mean, I, I wouldn't ever spend time ever adapting something unless I absolutely loved it. I just wouldn't do that. I really love, they revisit it just in a couple of lines in this episode, but I really love the approach to determinism that the show's got, um, where... Henry says, I'm, I'm not making you pick this house by telling you it's the house we're going to live in. 
but it is the house we're going to live in and you're going to choose it yourself, but you are going to choose it. <laughs> I, I know the future. I know that when you see the studio, you're going to want to live in this house forever. I love that. The, the coexistence of determinism and free will, the idea that they're not in contradiction with each other. That's a really lovely thing that the show does. He's practically doing it to tease her at that point, isn't he? <laughs> like, yeah. He could easily have just shut his mouth and let Claire pick the, the studio by herself. But he was just like, hey, <laughs> this is the one. I think there's a degree of, um, I think there's, they can have fun with that aspect of their relationship. They can kind of joke about it at this point, which is really nice to see. It's one of those things that when, like Henry does, you fully buy into that way of looking at the world. When you've spent your whole life seeing the future and the past all as one thing, um, you, you start to just see time like that. And so it, it's not, it doesn't feel like a misstep to him when he says, yeah, this is the house we're going to live in, because he knows it is. He, he just, that's how time is to him. Um, I really love that kind of broken, non-temporal perspective. It's uh, Doctor Who brain stuff. I love it. I think the foreknowledge stuff was really interesting here. It's like a very literal kind of execution of an actual experience where, you know, Henry's on what should be the happiest day of his life or one of the happiest days of his life. But on the wedding day, instead of, and you, you know, leading up to the wedding day and on the wedding day itself, instead of experiencing that happiest day of his life, he's not just living through all his worries and tensions, you know, like a real person about to get married will. He's literally you know, getting a little sample of all the worst arguments and worst scenes and worst days of his life yet to come, the worst states he's ever going to be in. It's like, it's such a, he's getting so early, this vision of all this stuff that's going to go wrong in his life. And it's like, how do you live with, you know, that kind of fixed knowledge that this is all going to happen? You know, all this shit is going to happen to me. I'm going to look like that really old Henry one day. What's up with his legs right now? Is something going on there? You know, I'm going to have this huge, almost seems a relationship ending argument with my wife. Am I even married to my wife? They keep having weird dialogue about that. To get all these worst case scenarios actually realized, not just in a, in real life, you're just going to be worrying about this stuff, you know, before your wedding. Oh, is this going to work? Is that going to work? But for Henry, he actually sees, nope, this isn't going to work and that's not going to work. And that's going to go really poorly. Uh, such an affecting thing for him to actually have to have that foreknowledge of all this stuff that is going to go wrong in his life and in the marriage. So in that context, like any positive foreknowledge, like here's the lovely house that we're going to live in, I think that would that would appeal to him, wouldn't it? In contrast to yeah. the doom and despair. So it's sort of naturally he'd be, you know, he'd be constantly looking for that tree and sort of uh, when he actually finds it, he can't resist like pointing it out. I, I think this is going to fuzz out of his memory because of the state he was in and because of how mind-bending the trip was. But that's why I also think for us viewers as well, that image of a child, a childlike figure in the house, I think is that same sort of thing that if he could remember that, I think it's something he'd grasp onto. Yeah, it was presented in that very dreamlike way with that huge light glaring behind the child and the leaves like whipping up into a storm. Was, I think it was like the, the one moment where like Henry's time travel escapades are pre presented stylistically in a way that's overtly almost like magical realist sort of like surreal. Yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting stylistic break, certainly. Uh, sort of makes you ask a lot of questions, especially as particularly someone unfamiliar with the, um, the original story. There's a classic thing um, in wedding planning where you try not to think too hard about the decisions. You just pick the one that feels right, right? You pick the wedding dress that feels like the wedding dress you're going to get married in. And so it's really nice that 
when they're making decisions about their future, literally they can't think about it too much because Henry knows which one they're going to pick. Um, with the house specifically. He just knows it in the way that you do. There might be a fun parallel to that and when they're picking the cutlery and <laughs> Claire yeah. asks Henry to pick one, but you know, she's already decided which one she actually wants. So there's, there's some things are almost predetermined in that sense because Claire is so set on her particular preferences. M- Moffat's old sitcom coupling does a lot of gags, which are precisely that, yeah. Coupling, yeah. Uh, screaming about being forced to have an opinion on cushions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very gender fast. We touched on it a bit earlier, but the musical ending... It was another kind of tonal break, like we're saying with that moment of seeing the childlike figure that was more stylistic than usual. So was the musical number. Uh, I think cheesier than the regular kind of comedy moments in the series. Uh, Moffat really, really, really likes it. I I saw in an interview he was saying how much he loves that kind of joy uh, and that he was really, really into that moment. And I like the end of the show when it all goes mad and they all sing along. I think I like I like a big sing along. I think... For me, well, uh, in 2008, that kind of thing was pretty hot, um, doing <laughs> flash mobs and like surprise dances at weddings. Like it's it's realistic in terms of when the wedding is actually happening. Uh, it didn't didn't work for me heaps, but I, I intellectually, I appreciated what was going on there. Like connecting, everyone can appreciate the kind of mindful, you know, we're happy in one moment and that's, you know, kind of a big theme, you know, like the ending of episode two with Henry's mum, which she's saying, get on with it, you know, live each moment for each moment. And kind of across time, all the different Henrys and Claire's are kind of getting that. I like the idea of it more than I like the actual execution of <laughs> of, of the song and everything. And also the song, I felt a little, you know, earlier in episode two, that chapter of the book with all the Henrys attending his mum's death is called Always Crashing in the Same Car, which is a great David Bowie song the episode doesn't use. But over here... Uh, the church song is the title of this chapter of the book as well. And they do use the song here. I, I wish it was kind of flipped, but yeah. How did the song itself and the musical number work for you too? You know, the detail of it that I that really worked for me, even though I felt the overall song maybe dragged out a bit. I love the little montage of seeing all the different versions of Claire and Henry throughout time, yeah. listening to it and you know finding solace in it. Because I felt that was a nice counterpoint to the stuff earlier in the episode about how Henry hates videos and oh, videos are nostalgia. Oh, it's so, so bad. You know, it was a nice reminder that actually making good memories that you can return to over and over again is actually really important because it, it provides some solace in life when you, know, you have nothing else it's actually such a good thing and i like that idea of just unifying all the different bits on the timeline around this one moment that brought them such joy this one song that elicits such like you know happy memories in them even if i was i'm not like massively keen on the song itself or the performance or whatever Mm. i thought that was a nice um that was a nice way to just wrap it up in a way that was like really sweet that that one shot of older claire clapping to herself even though all we've seen of old claire is her looking sad and kind of melancholy and miserable seeing her actually you know be really like inspired and like you know singing along to that video that was really like heartwarming and obviously like old 42 year old henry who's turned into peter capaldi and has no feet um with um little claire like singing along to the song as well like even though he's been so miserable every time we've seen him to to think that that song can actually kind of make him feel happy as well yeah that was that was heartwarming too there's this lovely thing it reminds me of um the midpoint of magnolia where the film just takes like five minutes out to do a song and it cuts across all the different plot lines and everyone's just singing. It's very much one of those moments, but it's got the lovely thing of it also literally makes sense um, how they're, they're all singing the same song because it's 
an important song in all these different points of the characters' lives, and they're all reflecting on the same memories from different angles. Oh, it's it's just it's that classic moment of flashing around doing a montage of all these songs, um, being the same song being sung at different points in time. This sort of unifying power of music across time, but also it it makes sense. It's the whole thing the show's doing of being magical realism and also realism realism at the same time it just reminded me of the other show that did this kind of thing a ton which was um the wachowskis sense eight because the whole premise of that was that all these people across the world across like you know countries and places they could all have the same experience at the same time and just like the sheer joy in that in all these people having totally such disparate experiences could be linked by something like a music or a song or or, yeah in one case an orgy (laughs) i think there's a there's a real sense of um i think i think joy and liberation that comes to using montage in that way and music in that way so it was just I, I, that kind of thing. Really, I really vibe with it. Like, again, like not super keen on the song or whatever, but I thought that was a cool note to just wrap it up on. Yeah, the song itself. I mean, it's fine. It's <laughs> it, it stuck out to me as a bit weird, but I'm never saying no to a musical number. I, just, I think everything should have a song in it as a rule. And do you get it? It's get me to the church on time. Ha-ha. Time. <laughs> so funny that they lampshaded it like 12 times earlier <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> like, dude, we totally have an ironic like, in-joke to do. Yay, we did it. I, I did like Gomez being like, we've got to get you to the church on time. That's a setup. That's going to be important. Let's go. Uh, not for the first time, I was thinking about uh, the director, David Nutter, who did all six episodes, and he's, of course a big time Game of Thrones director. He did the Red Wedding episode, funnily enough. So there's a wedding through line there. Uh, for him coming from, you know, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, with that fa- infamous quote of, you know, themes are for eighth grade book reports. You know, we don't concern ourselves with, our, with such things. For him to come into a show which like kind of unbearably wears its themes on its sleeves at times. I, I, I wonder how that shift was for him. But, but he seemed to have a real ball doing the show. He's spoken super, super positively about it. He said a really interesting thing in an interview I watched today. So he said that like for Game of Thrones, he didn't read the book. Uh, he just, the scripts are his Bible. He just wants to bring the scripts for a show to life. So he only concentrates on the scripts, not the, what the material is being adapted from. Well, for me, it's a situation in which when I read the scripts, that was my Bible. Yeah. And I, I had no intent to read the books. Because I don't want to, I don't want to be cluttered or bothered by something else. When I did Game of Thrones, I felt the exact same way. So to me, that was the Bible and that was what I lived by. And again, I think he was one of the best Game of Thrones directors. So that, you know, must have worked out for him. But not having read the book, he said what appealed to him so much about the show was he felt like this was a show he was kind of made to do all his life. Like he says, I've been waiting all my life to do this story uh, because this kind of love across time story is something I've had like in my mind for decades the overall arc of the series was something that was so special to me i normally will go direct a pilot and then kind of move on but for these i wanted to be involved in all six episodes so to me it was about something that this is a story i wanted to tell all my life and uh i kind of i kind of equated to um um a line in a film i once re- i once saw where the uh, actress said to tom cruise i loved you all my life even before i met you i loved the very thought of you I love the promise of you, and you kept your promise. Well, I loved this script before it was made, and I think I've fallen in love with it, and it stayed that way. Uh, and he was talking about how his 
wife who passed away a few years ago from cancer, like if he could travel in time, he'd he'd travel, you know, to that first moment he fell in love with her. For me, it would be basically the moment I met my wife where I fell in love with first sight. That was about 20, 1984. Hmm. But I want to live again. So I think both him and Moffat, I know we've spoken before as well as how like the show is coming from a very male place and that it's two head creatives, you know, the the showrunner who wrote all the scripts, Moffat is a man, and the director who directed all the episodes, David Nutter, is a man. Uh, there definitely is that sense to it, which I know uh, hasn't worked for some people, but I think it's really beautiful that both men have such a deep emotional connection to this text, and I, I think that really comes across. The show always feels, you know, whatever the production value of certain things, it always feels very authentic emotionally to me. So I really like, I think you can feel that there's a lot of love from the writer and the director in the show. It is the embodiment of a passion project. Yeah. No, no one can say it's not. <laughs> is I think the direction's really interesting, especially in comparison to Game of Thrones, where it's it would be I think for a lot of people it would be intuitive to go more magical with the direction. Um it always feels really real, which I find so interesting. Um every time, especially in this episode where Henry's just crashing through different points of his own life and he's smashing into that house in the future again and again and again. It feels like a place that exists each time he arrives there. Apart from when it goes extremely stylistic, driven by the script, and presumably the script says stuff like all the petals blow up into his face. The uh, the script for the first episode came out today. I haven't read it yet um but it's online so that should be interesting to look through yeah Ooh, i'll go and read that one small note on effects and transitions and things in henry time traveling i noticed in this episode um where are some past episodes we've seen a lot of the effect where henry wisps into thin air and we just see a gap where he was before in this episode we've got a lot of ones from henry's point of view where yeah the the, the um the environment disappears but we have a close-up on henry and his face stays pretty much where it is so it's like that that really adds a sense of rather than you know henry wisping away like magic it's the sense of just just the feeling of him being hurled into like a, a new place and just focusing on his point of view that i think that really contributes to that feeling of it being like feeling real rather than focusing on the, the special effect or whatever sort of de-emphasizing the special effect and more uh just the the feeling of henry being tumultuously i guess poured into one time frame after another and the fact that the first few times we get it um you know we see him in bed we see him start to get uncomfortable and then he shifts and then as the episode goes on, it gets more hectic. It just becomes this storm of context-free crashing through different time zones. Um, really effective at getting you into that headspace. It feels like a bad trip. The whole when he's having a bad trip, the whole thing feels like properly. It makes you feel ill. It's really effective. And he's he's vomiting and everything. It really absolutely feels like a bad trip. Yeah, the moment where he, he keeps arriving back and he thinks he's okay and then crashes back away again. Love Yeah. That. And yeah, I, I love the whole thing that the bad trip is brought on by his anxieties. It's like it, it, re- it really does read as a trip, you know, in a very literal way. He's, he's, he's in that worried headspace and so it keeps happening more and more and it's like an exponential bad trip. Yeah. So often drug stuff in film and TV is um, someone does drugs and then, oh, we're in a... We're just in a wild abstract space and the story's <laughs> just been replaced by abstract stuff for a while. Yeah. But here he's we understand why he's 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 trying to combat his anxiety to stay there. But in doing that, he's um he's going on this weird trip through time. Um 
but each of the moments, each of the episodes of the trip are internal. They're all driven by his anxiety that drove him here in the first place. So it's characterful all the way through. It never stops being driven by his anxieties and his internal life, which I, I think that's great. I think the horror of him getting hurtled through time as he's anxious about the future, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it we've discussed. One thing I think from Moffat's perspective about it, I think is interesting so in this interview I watched, you know, when David Nutter is asked, where would you time travel to? And he says, you know, to, to his uh, late wife uh, when he first fell in love with her. Uh, but Moffat said he's not going to go anywhere. He said that's the point for him is, you know, he's like 60 and he's happy now. He wouldn't time travel anywhere. He, that's, you know, that's what he feels like his happiness is. I think, I think the condition of being a very happy man is wanting to be right now and right <laughs> here. I think I'd mostly use time travel to avoid very long plane trips. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm very very happy. I will tell you what. I mean, I'm I I've just turned 60 and that's a pain in the arse. So I I, I if I could just take a few years off, that'd be nice. I'd not. Yeah. That one. I'm happy here, I'm happy now. And so I think from his point of view, he's so authentically into this mindfulness, you know, stuff of um the the joy is the moment now. That I think it's really interesting for him of all writers, you know, who's done so much time travel stuff, to be I wouldn't time travel anywhere. Uh, I think that spirit in the show and with Henry is really interesting. It really is a curse. You know, given um given how much emphasis, especially in this episode, is placed on Henry's emotions, kind of dictating or guiding where he ends up getting socked to next. I think uh, it sort of heightens the contrast between that and the other element, which is the inanimate parts of him a time travel of their own volition to seemingly random points which you know of course leads to the the whole time travel fetus thing and the miscarriages i think it, it, it sort of it sort of sharpens the degree to which there's more than one i guess element of time travel here and whereas the the characterful one feels really like just attuned in like to, to everything whereas the aspect of like you know okay his his nail clippings time travel too that feels like a separate thing more like something that's there to just generate events rather than something that is directly character driven if you see what i mean there's something thorny i think about the coding of time travel as a disease um because it, both uh, at the same time it's presenting the, the the illness as a sort of character flaw but also on the flip side of that there's a sense of um uh, the time travel stands in for men's unreliability, which is one of Moffat's big themes. Men who can't stick around, who are always off and not present when you need them to be. And so having a man who's unreliable, but not it's not his fault. It's just a thing that happens to him. Um, he doesn't have a choice about sticking around. That's also a little... Um, it feels a little bit like giving up on the idea of male responsibility, which I know people talked about a lot in regards to episode three, um, where it's almost as if, um, uh, as if saying, look, there's no hope of men being reliable. It's as if it's an illness. They, they literally can't stick around if they want to. I, uh, which sort of, he's, Moffat seems quite doomer about men in general. He's quite down on the whole gender. Um, but I just, I just thought that was interesting. I saw a reading online that's kind of 
to do with that, the male responsibility stuff. I've and I've, I've been chewing over this reading because I thought it was quite interesting, uh, which was basically that, you know, the the idea in life is you're meant to grow and get better as a person, you know, as a man, as a woman, you're meant to improve, you know, through life. That's kind of how arcs work, you know, in fiction and hopefully in real life, people think. Uh, but this reading is that the story is kind of allegorical for how men will will present themselves, you know, like a peacock in their best manner early on in a relationship and, you know, the woman will be entranced by that version of the man, you know, who does his hair and who cleans up and he's hygiene and he looks after himself. And then the man's behavior will deteriorate uh, when the relationship's kind of secured enough and, you know, the man will get worse and, you know, get lazier and everything. Uh, and this reading is that, so in real life, we kind of meet out of order in that sense in that you kind of meet someone at their best and then they will deteriorate down, which is kind of the opposite of how arcs, you know, will tend to work in fiction with the growth the other way around. And so this story here is a woman having faith in her husband, in a boyfriend, in the man she loves. And then the man tries to rise himself up to that position that she's having faith in. And so he tries to become, you know, the superior version, the responsible version of the man that she's perceiving. Uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting to kind of see, well, in real relationships, you know, men will often deteriorate. But in this story, we kind of go backward in that he's deteriorated when he finds her and then he kind of grows more responsible as he goes on because he tries to rise up to that. Uh, but of course, you can muddy that a little with, you know, older Henry makes the vasectomy decision, which upsets the marriage in a big way. But the responsibility stuff, I think it's kind of interesting how that arc is kind of done backwards here maybe i guess because younger henry doesn't get to like come like come to claire and seduce her the way he did all his other girls the fact that it's claire who comes to him and she finds him when he is this you know this mess of a human being and he doesn't he can't really hide from her in any sense that's what kind of inverts the dynamic he, he doesn't he doesn't get a chance to peacock for claire mm. really like she comes straight to him and she knows all this stuff about him and he and he, you know, he he's unguarded at that point so that's why i guess that's why it's able to go in the other direction where he gets to I guess build up rather than just like settle down and like <laughs> collapse and deflate into you know, mediocrity. I think that first episode does actually have a shade of peacocking. Obviously, it's it's um, the mostly it's Claire knowing presidential Henry already, but there's there's also the moment when they first meet. You know, he tries for a little bit, and then the first night together, he he gives it all up and gives away that yeah. he's a bit of a dick. And so there is a sort of moment of that peacocking as well as the big metaphorical version of it. Um, but that's very much, uh, it's definitely a parallel with how men are. I like the idea of how we perceive a moment or a day differently throughout our lives that this episode does with the wedding. How we get the older Henry in his 40s, well, the, the older Henry looks back at the memory of the wedding, you know, through the kind of bittersweet way of, you know, it's, they might not understand the full commitment they're making there or how everything's actually going to go because when you're older, you have that experience. So there can be that kind of melancholy of, oh, look how, look at the naivete, you know, in the, in the romance there. Uh, for older Claire, reliving the wedding with that younger Henry, it's, not dwelling on the argument, you know, that she's having in the moment right now with the Henry contemporary with her, but instead, you know, looking kind of in totality at this man, you know, she's reaffirming why she's with him. You know, she's looking at 
the wedding with him and it's kind of that I'm looking back and remind, remembering why I love you. Uh, it's, you know, wedding vows and promises in general are kind of stuff you can make without understanding the breadth and depth of what you're saying in the moment. And so the show is so interesting how it kind of gives the opportunity to show characters at different points of their lives so we can get a sense of what this promise meant in the moment and then what the promise meant, you know, come to game time, you know, as kind of Claire's final dialogue about marriage to Henry in the episode kind of says. And so I really like time travel as a mechanism for kind of re-examining moments from different points of your life and re-examining what promises mean at different points in your life as well. Uh, and of course, the really mind-bendy way of older Henry can kind of break a promise of trust with Claire, which can kind of be remade with a younger version of himself as well. I don't know if you can read any real-world parallel into that, but it's a really interesting bit of the story as well. And obviously, this episode um, parallels that idea directly with videotapes. Uh, yeah. The whole idea of recording those moments and revisiting them. That the opening sequence where um, young Henry sticks his face into the frame of the framing device of the series. Neat. That's a very Moffat thing. Well, we've had this framing device the whole time of older Henry talking to camera, and then young Henry turns up and sticks his face into it. The whole idea of um, of the these recorded memories and these different reflections on periods of your life that because of time travel can all be in the wrong order and you can influence and appear in memories from the future just lovely that's great stuff the fact that even as claire watches the wedding video with young henry as as they're sat there and, and she she's essentially it's pretty much new like information to her that the old henry who went back and married her there was the one who she just had this argument like when she when she found out it was shoe polish day she seemed like oh my god fuck I, i'm not ready for this i didn't realize this was going to be today so yeah in, in a way like the fact that she sees the henry who she's just a huge bust up with walking back into her past and having this you know, lovely wedding with her that she's been so fond of this whole time it's like it, she she's she's still getting to see a new side of that moment even as like it's happened so long ago and now she's probably watched this video so many times but the fact it's now taken on a new dimension for her that's again that, that really literalizes the idea of you know, old memories taking on new shapes like having new like layers to them as time goes on yeah and it's essentially renewing your vows isn't it yeah yeah they, they've had a big argument and so he goes back and gets married <laughs> which for her was years and years ago and he's just doing now because they've had a falling out and he needs to prove that 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 he's committed oh time travel i i find it really affecting i think you know having having been in a very long-term relationship before there really are those moments where something can be going really wrong like seven years into the relationship or whatever and then it's not it's not the literal version of the other person or your younger self coming up, but there are always relics of you, you know, all around or there's decisions you made earlier that can flare up in little ways. Oh, look at that thing that was made back then. Oh, the consequence of some choice I made a couple of years ago happens to crop up now. I think there's a really interesting sense of, you know, like Moffat always talks about, we don't really live our lives in order the way we think because our brains bounce around all the time, you know, thinking of the future, remembering the past. The present isn't linear like we like to think of it. I, th- I think there really is that nature in a relationship as well because you're not just living s- with someone in the moment. Everything you've done before is still with you and, you know, will come up. A decision you made a year ago can have a consequence, you know, 
you know, two years later, your, your past selves still kind of flit around you, even though they're not actually with you the way Henry is with you there. So I really like, I think it's, I can understand why the show isn't romantic enough in some ways for other people, but for younger Henry to come up after that argument with older Henry and for Claire to connect with a younger version of him. And of course she's, I don't think she's just going to connect with that younger version of him. I don't think she's going to say, well, you know, I hate the old one now and I'm connecting with you. I've kind of inverted my arc from the start of the series. Now I'm going to resent the older Henry and just love the younger one. As hungry as she looks at him at the end, I don't think that's the idea here. I think it's a more encompassing, I'm remembering why I love you. And I do assert that I love you. And, you know, sometimes it takes not an experience with the present partner you're with in a relationship to remind you of that, but that's, you're not marrying you you're not marrying someone just in the present day forever. You're marrying their future. And to an extent, like Moffat says, you know, with the photographs of his wife as a child, you're marrying their past as well. You're connecting with their whole life, you know, is kind of the idea. So I, I found that quite moving. It felt quite satisfyingly symbolic that older Henry getting shunted back to do the wedding swap seemingly almost happens as a result of young Henry punching him in the face. Like <laughs> some sort of Blinovich effect that caused them to swap around. It was like this idea that you know, by having... That just that confrontation with the younger version of himself and just almost like, like, I think we all, in some sense, maybe as we get older, we have this moment where we think about what our past self would think of us now. Yeah. And maybe we feel like you know, quite disheartened by that or maybe we don't. But, you know, again, that's something that becomes literally true for Henry. I think in that sense of like literally coming to blows with his own past sort of spurs him to actually go back to that past and like, I guess, do the whole renewing of vows thing. It felt we were quite satisfying and symbolic in a way. And I think, we do have a distancing effect with ourselves as well. I know like time travel works very differently in different time travel fiction. I think this is one of the reasons the show didn't click for everyone, especially at the start, just because there's that very real thing of, you know, time travel worked in Quantum Leap this way and time travel worked in Back to the Future or Avengers this way. Uh, it's, well, why is it not working here? What, why aren't we doing the branching timelines in this episode? You know, that's how time travel works also time travel works differently in the time traveler's wife than in most time travel shows yes back to the future quantum leap doctor who whatever you can change time but in this one there is no such power no control and really really fixing that in the audience's mind he can't do anything he's just rattling around i think there's that's an issue with you know viewers in general uh but i think with time travel i really agree that you don't really remember who you were in the past actively so much uh, it's you know like some people <laughs> definitely not me and probably not all of us to an extent since we're doing a recorded discussion here but some people can't stand to hear their voices on tape or their voices played back there's that kind of distancing effect between a playback of yourself or just from your past self at all uh, and i think people can't really remember what they say in the past you know most people so much moffat says this it's <laughs> this great quote when he says, like, whenever, whenever I watch an interview of myself on YouTube or whatever, I'm on the edge of my seat thinking, what's he going to say next? Because I have no <laughs> clue what I'm going to talk about or if I'm going to approve of what I'm saying for not or not. Uh, well, for me, it was mostly uh, in terms of uh, uh, writing it, uh, mm. that sort of jigsaw of trying to work out how, <laughs> how everything relates to everything else. It's yeah. quite terrifying, but it's also, I mean, I, 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 I've got the kind of brain that likes that sort of thing. That character knows this. This character doesn't know that yet, uh, mm. and we're going to get to there for me. I mean, I, I, I like the. There's an element of farce in it, especially in episode four. Yeah, Imagine having to go to the same dinner twice and actually having to think about the real ramifications of that. Normally, one thing I thought about was normally in time travel movies, people have perfect memories. They remember yes. exactly what he said 13 years ago, and I was thinking yep. of the line that I write for Henry. He says. 
can you remember what you said yesterday? <laughs> I mean, and I think I couldn't. I yeah, couldn't. I Whenever couldn't. I see a, a YouTube interview with me, I never know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> so I think it's a very actually kind of relatable thing in the show that Henry not only doesn't remember what younger Henrys say, but he has he so easily comes into conflict with them and so easily feels different from them. I think we live in the moment, you know, much more than we might think. And I, 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 I certainly relate to that, this kind of distancing effect from your past where it's not just, oh, will, you know, young me approve of the job I'm doing now. I think it's to an extent, you know, for a lot of people, it's I can't even remember what I said, you know, a week ago. So I think the way the show realizes separate versions of yourself is actually quite, uh, quite applicable yeah i mean it's pretty telling but sometimes i listen back to these or um uh or things i've written or appeared on and go oh yeah i hadn't thought of it like that <laughs> listening yeah, yeah. to myself explain something i obviously had thought about it like that like the evidence is right in front of me i thought about it like that on screen on tape but you you can learn from things you've already done obviously you can you can correct yourself from the past. You can learn things from something you've done before. Like that's that, that's a real life experience. It's not just time travel. What I think the marriage is here. It's not like she's marrying the vows, like the specific words in time. She's marrying this encompassing sense of Henry across time, and vice versa as well. That's why you know young Henry might not be literally married to Claire you know, the way older Henry did, but he is married to her, basically, you know, if you ask me, like conceptually and actually he is married to her. So I think there's this more encompassing sense of self than what we can remember our actions or words in a given day. I mean, that's that's why they say technically, right? Like, we're not technically married, but come on. Yeah. Did you notice Tom's Midnight Garden? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, a, a novel, very influential and meaningful to Moffat, Tom's Midnight Garden, uh, that Henry puts the lottery clue in there. Very lovely Easter egg. A novel, yeah, similar to his work and Niffenegger's work in a lot of ways. And I, I think his first time travel story, he said? First clever use of time travel, in his words. There's so many parallels you can make between that and this. Yeah. Oh, just one more thing. Um, the, the decision to do a mid credit scene at the end, like a teaser like that, that was such a mic drop moment. <laughs> I didn't see it coming at all. And I just love that. Even though, yes, it is like just a huge gaping teaser for a season two, it's also just such a like... <laughs> Such a great like way to end, like just the just the realization as it dawns on Claire's face, this impossible, crazy plan starts to form in her mind. It's just it's so devious. Oh, I just put a, a, my jaws on the floor. It was just delightful. It reminds me of episode two's ending because it's like, especially in this finale, time travel has been such a negative thing and such a curse. But we have this kind of miraculous moment of wait, it can actually be you know a miracle as well. Time travel sometimes. And the, that's the cool thing about having such established rules of how time travel works is you go oh of course no that makes sense yeah it's great um my i'm sorry but my last thought is that there was a penis on screen yeah that happened that's that's it that's my last thought good night everyone <laughs> that's it's not tv it's hbo <laughs> and that concludes our discussion on the finale fingers crossed we'll have an announcement soon about whether the show is going to get another season or not either way we aren't done talking about The Time Traveler's Wife yet, as we have discussions coming up on the 2009 film adaptation, which of course extends beyond the point the show has reached in the novel. And we'll have a discussion on the 2003 novel itself. But in the meantime, please let us know what you thought of this finale and this show, the TV adaptation in general. 
as well as any thoughts on our discussion of this finale and the show as well. And thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks.